pleasure to be here. This is where Mitt Romney's going to keep his horses in a few weeks. Uh, uh, it's a great pleasure uh, to be here, though it's a little ludicrous to be honored uh, with, uh, in the presence of people like General Petraeus and Leon Panetta. One of them runs the Pentagon. One of them now runs the CIA, sort of won the war in Iraq. I wrote a book a few years ago making fun of people's kitchens. Uh, I was hoping they would have honored some more mediocrity so I could feel a little more at home, uh, but that didn't happen. Uh, so I just wanted to talk a little about uh, what life is like here and what the test of character is here. And I was inspired uh, at this talk by, uh, I have had a chance to visit Secretary Panetta in his office in the Pentagon, and he has two pictures of two of the greatest Washingtonians uh, in history behind his desk. One of them is Dwight Eisenhower. Now, when Dwight Eisenhower was a boy, about eight, he wanted to go out trick-or-treating. And his mom wouldn't let him because she didn't think he was ready for it. And he threw a temper tantrum, uh, and he punched the tree in the front yard of his house. And he rubbed the, blood, the, fingers, uh, the skin off his fingers. And so his hands were bloody, and his mom sent him up to his room to cry for an hour. And uh, she came up an hour later, bound his wounds, and said to him uh, a verse which you'll recognize, he that conquereth his own soul is greater than he who taketh the city. And 76 years later, when Eisenhower was writing his memoirs, he said that was the most important conversation in his life. Because what it taught him is to live in this sort of place, you have to control your worst weaknesses. And for Eisenhower, among those weaknesses was rage and his temper. And so it was a strategy for recognizing the sin within himself. Now, the other portrait behind Secretary Panetta's desk is of a, another great man, George C. Marshall. Marshall was raised in sort of a similar way, rural background, to, taught to distrust himself. And part of that distrust for him was, was containing, constraining his ambition. And my favorite Marshall story happened in probably 1942 or 43. He, was, uh, he wanted to run Operation Overlord, the D-Day invasion. Uh, whoever would run that operation would be running one of the greatest operations in human military history. Stalin told him he was going to get the job. Churchill told him he was going to get the job. Roosevelt knew if, he get, if Marshall asked for the job, he really had to give it to him. Such was Marshall's stature. Uh, so Roosevelt calls Marshall in the Oval Office. Marshall desperately wants the job. And Roosevelt says, would you like to run Operation Overlord? the D-Day invasion. And Marshall says, my own opinions should have no bearing at all on your decision. And Roosevelt asks him three more times, four times in total. And each time, Marshall says, it's not about me. You do what's best for you. And that was part of his code to control his impulses. And that hurt him in that case, but that was the code which protected him against the snares that surround people every day in Washington. There was another woman who was active at that time who would have loathed Marshall and probably loathed Ike. And that was what we would now call a social entrepreneur named Dorothy Day, who was a pacifist. Day, in, on uh, April 18, 1906, she was a uh, young girl, eight years old. She was living in Oakland. She was asleep one night with her sister in her, her arms. Her mom rushes in, grabs the sister. Dad rushes in, grabs the two boys who are also in the room. And suddenly, the whole room is swaying. She's on a brass bed, and she's going from wall to wall. She's in the middle of the San Francisco earthquake. 
and she had a sense at that moment that it was God shaking up her world. She also had a sense in the moments that followed that she saw the community around that grew up after the earthquake. And those two events, the presence of God and the community that grew up in the face of tragedy became sort of the center of her life. She grows up, she's sort of a lusty teenager. You can, she, you can read her letters of her sort of distrusting the lust she feels within herself. She goes to college for a year. She's not that organized. She drops out. She goes to New York, gets a job uh, at a radical newspaper, interviews Leon Trotsky. She, she writes at that point, I wanted to go on the picket lines to go to jail, to write, to influence others, to make my mark on the world. How much ambition and self-seeking there was in all that. And in that sentence, you get the essence of who Dorothy Day was. Incredible self-criticism, an incredible talent for criticizing the weaknesses within her own self. She becomes an activist. She becomes an activist for very good causes. And she's arrested twice as an activist. First, for being a suffragette. She's arrested, and instead of feeling proud of herself, she writes in jail, I was a petty creature filled with self-deception, self-importance, unreal, false, rightly scorned and punished. She gets arrested again, also for defending worker rights. But again, instead of feeling proud of herself, she thinks about the disorganized life she's been leading. And she writes, I do not think that ever again, no matter what I'm accused, can I suffer more than I did of shame and regret and self-contempt. Not only because I'd been caught, found out, branded, publicly humiliated, but because of my own consciousness, I deserved it. Again, a self-lacerating personality. But in that self-laceration comes slow development as she really pushes herself through self-criticism to focus on what really matters to herself. She becomes pregnant, and that pregnancy changes her life but in unexpected ways. She writes after that, after the birth of her daughter, if I had written the greatest book, composed the greatest symphony, painted the most beautiful painting or crafted the most exquisite figure, I could not have felt more exalted than I did when they placed the daughter in my arms. And out of that birth of her daughter came a sense of profound gratitude. Out of that came a desire to worship, a desire to worship God. And out of that slowly and through that self-criticism came focus of life from a really disorganized life. She created a newspaper called the Catholic Worker newspaper, which was for the working class Catholics. She created a soup kitchen, served about 150,000 meals every morning. She served, created community work movements for the poor and became what we would call a social entrepreneur. But through it all, a sense that the more you do, the more recognized you are, the more self-critical you have to be, because at your best, you're at your moments of greatest self-peril. And so in these three people, I have a list in my head of I get depressed and I think, well, at least there are five good people in Washington. And those are people, you know, Donald Trump, Elliot Spitzer. No, I'm kidding. Uh, those are people, a, a hero of mine is Jim Lehrer. Uh, another one who went through here is a guy named George Schultz. I think the two gentlemen, Leo, General Panetta, Secretary Panetta, I'm not sure what's better, Secretary, uh, uh, Secretary Petraeus, General Petraeus. Um, uh, they certainly fit that bill. And I would just say, you know, you guys are incredibly impressive. Uh, you're going to have great careers. But that spirit of self-criticism is the only one thing I just wanted to leave you with. 
because it is that spirit of self-criticism, of recognizing and detailing a battle plan to fight the weakness in yourself is the people who separate the people like Day and Marshall and Eisenhower from those who are good, but not quite at that level. So thank you.